Welcome to Stick Around, the podcast with tighter hot pants than a DC supervillain. Brought to you by Little Chef. We still exist. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love Little Chef. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I saw one the other day. There's Road Chef, which is their main competitor, um, but Little Chef do still exist. I I kind of miss paying twenty pounds for a breakfast. I've been there in a while. Um, I used to uh, I used to work at a Little Chef. I remember the, that. Uh, yeah. At the Fossen Services on the A1 in Lincolnshire, it's uh, and sadly no more a little chef, but it was that lo- that very location where I once served Barry McGuigan an Olympic breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've told us this story before. But oh, when, when I when when I signed that deal with Little Chef, I didn't remember that anecdote, but I'm very pleased I did. I had a word with our Baz, and. Um, yeah. Yeah, he put a uh, he put in a good word for us there at Little Chef. Got us a yeah. good rate on the old podcast sponsorship. Yeah, twenty percent off sausages. That's not bad. That. It's not yeah, bad. and there's a truck just pulling in now with my seven tons of frozen sauté potatoes, which I'm particularly wow. looking forward to. <laughs> How many tons? I think it says seven. Oh, that's plenty. Yeah, yeah. I need to find out if that's metric or imperial. Okay. What was what? What would you say was the most intercontinental thing on a Little Chef menu? The most intercontinental thing. Yeah, so it was traditionally British fry-up food, really, wasn't it? But um, was there anything that you thought was quite out there for Little Chef? I think um, I certainly remember serving cappuccinos. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, frothy coffees, as they were as they were known. <laughs> When when ordered by see this by is lo- prob- yo- local yokels. See this is probably the reason that they're not doing very well. Um, you know the Brexit voters does not want your intercontinental bullshit. They want a cup of coffee. You know, absolutely. Want, I agree I, with they, you. They want a fry up. They do not want you know an intercontinental breakfast. No interest. <laughs> we had to call our. We had several fry ups, but. Um, the Olympic was the champion and was the one that everyone went for. And then if you wanted a smaller one, but with black pudding, you had the Great British Breakfast. And I'm wow. pretty sure the only reason we didn't call that the um, the full English was because of the EU. Ah, right. Okay. that Another contributing factor, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. And of course, um, they uh, Heston Blumenthaled it not more than three months before My Little Chef closed down. Making oh, yeah. me re- making me redundant two weeks before I went to university and quit the job anyway, which was a nice little payout. <laughs> yeah, I remember that happening. I think. Oh, I remember you mentioned it. And they, it, ba- they backdated it by three months' pay or something like they w- worked it out by based on your previous shifts over the last twelve weeks or something like that. And of course, over the last twelve weeks, it was. Um, I've been doing it every overtime shift I could because it was a summer holiday, so it was a pretty, pretty <laughs> penny. Wow. Yeah. See, it's God, that kind of God bless you, little chef. That kind of slack accounting. That's what killed. Or nearly killed a great British institution. <laughs> Absolutely. A great English institution. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Unless sorry. it's in Scotland. Probably. Probably not. Anyway, hello there, guys. You may have noticed um, that we're missing a member of our usual 
Well, in fact, you won't have noticed that we're doing a films podcast yet. Welcome to films episode <laughs> 17. Believe that's correct. So. Oh, I think it might be 18, Dave. Oh, my goodness. Um, and we're here with um, films correspondent Alex Wayne. <laughs> Hello there. Films expert Clive Fisher. Hello there. And I'm David Peeling. And yeah, as I alluded to just a moment ago in a in a fucked up mistake of mine, uh, we're missing films regular Michael Johnson. Al, do you um, have any update on Michael's location? Well, he's been uh, he's joined uh, Des Lynam and uh, Kenneth Barnell in a libertarian protest against the plastic bag charge. I believe Michael was. <laughs> I believe Michael was last seen carrying a placard outside the single local shop on the island. Any idea what the placard said? Um, this plastic is not fantastic. Yeah, well done, Clive. You've remembered it well. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, I'm just guessing. Yeah, well, you know, it sounds like I know like he likes Michael's... big words. So. He does. Fantastic. Mr. Boom Plastic, I'm not paying for my plastic. <laughs> Another one. I've, I've that should be got, the theme yeah. tune, yeah, for the, for the movement. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, he just said to me, you know, politics comes first. Um, I'll be on the next one. Don't worry about it. And he's going to send us some pictures, you know, a couple of selfies with Des. Uh, we'll get them up on the Instagram when we get a chance. Oh, spot on. Des Lynham looks exactly the same as he did when he was pr- uh, promoting match, uh, pr- presenting <laughs> Match of the Day. thought you were going to say when he was Prime Minister. Did he present <laughs> Match of the Day or was it the Premiership? I get confused. No, it was Match of the Day. Match oh, of the it was, day. was it? Who did yeah, the who do, did the premiership when it was on ITV? Do, do, uh, it was not Bono. Do, 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 oh no, no, that was Bono. you two who did. No, yeah, no, the, no, that was the soundtrack. It was That would have been amazing if the, that was a the theme tune and then Bono presented it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just unplugged his <laughs> Edge just unplugged his guitar and sat on the sofa, <laughs> pulled on his headphones. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> Probably interrupted the highlights of Manchester United <laughs> Liverpool to remind the world about starving children. <laughs> While recording it yes. in a castle, something like that. Excellent. Right. Well, um, have we all been watching lots of films since we last did this? I have. I've seen about seven new releases since last time. So it was quite a while ago. Show off um, this guy. Yep. It was a heck of a long time ago, wasn't it? How about you, Clive? Um, I've seen more than I thought because it's been longer than. I thought since the last episode, I didn't think I'd seen much because I don't think I've seen a lot in the last month because I've been in Switzerland and haven't really watched a lot. But yeah, I had I've watched more cause just before I went to Switzerland. I watched quite a lot, so I've got a few. Haven't yet fully decided which ones I'm talking about. So we'll see how this goes. He's gonna wing Excellent. it, folks. <laughs> that is my new middle name, Wing It. He's a winger. <laughs> right. Well, um, in that case. Why don't uh, why don't we start off today with Al? What have you got for us? Uh, right, I'm going to talk about at least two films today, uh, potentially a third one. We'll see what we're doing time-wise. Uh, I'm going to start with quite a heavy one, then move on to lighter affairs. Uh, I'm going to start with The Neon Demon, uh, which was released uh, roughly two months ago, uh, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, who people might know from uh, Drive or Bronson or uh, Only Good Forgives. Uh, starring Elle Fanning, who's a relative newcomer, Gina Malone, Keanu Reeves, uh, and models Abby Lee and Bella Heathcote. Uh, the plot revolves around a 16-year-old model called Jessie, who uh, moves to LA to pursue a career in the modelling industry. Um, 
bringing with it her kind of sense of naivety and charm, which seems irresistible to the people around her. Have, having been a big fan of Driving Bronson, um, and less so of Only God Forgives, I'm pretty pleased to report that this is somewhat of a return to coherence uh, for Refn. Uh, Michael will be horrified for me to say that, by the way. He was a huge fan of Only God Forgives, but I felt it was largely, entirely style over substance, which I'm going to bring up in this, but in a, it, it's done in a better way in this on this occasion. Um, it sits somewhere between Drive and Only God Forgives in terms of narrative structure and style, with what I can only describe as a fathomable plot, uh, if surrealist. But this is definitely something you can follow. I, I mean, you saw Only God Forgives, didn't you, Dave? It is the only film I've ever walked out of. Right, okay. How long did you stay? <laughs> about about an hour, I think. Right, okay. Well, I can tell you, while this has uh, a slither of the hallmark of Only God Forgives, it's definitely closer to Drive, which was very pleasing to me. Uh, Michael considered Only God Forgives a natural kind of evolution of Drive, whereas I considered it a step too far. Mm. Um there's quite a few people walked out the screening we saw as well. Aesthetically, this is um, the Neon Demon, that is, has the look of a sort of an artistically uh, free perfume ad. You know when you see those adverts for things like Davidoff and uh, you've got very pretty people doing very artistic things, throwing paints, blood gore, whatever. This is definitely shot, deliberately so, in that style. It kind of um, attempts to sort of fetishise the female form without being specifically sexual, in my opinion. Um, the, the main character, Jesse, is kind of a Red Riding Hood style character, kind of all naivety, led between several packs of wolves who want to almost suck her spirit, which seems to be pure in a kind of very decaying uh, Los Angeles setting. Um, the audience is definitely made to feel complicit with the way it's shot, but I don't know how to put this really. It isn't. Um, the camera doesn't leer over Elle Fanning. It merely, it kind of. You're absorbed by her on a consistent basis, but you're never meant to uh, feel like you are kind of voyeuristic as such. Thematically, it's it's this kind of body horror meets avant-garde mixed with kind of deliberate Hollywood cliche. The whole idea of somebody comes to LA pure and then ends up as dirty as the rest of the town, um, which is a slight film noir edge. It feels like... On the negative side, it kind of gets weighed down by its own ambition, uh, neglecting to fully characterise the characters. Really, um, Jessie, the character of Jessie, is what she represents. She's not a a fully rounded person. And the dialogue is so stilted and uh, deliberately evocative of a perfume ad that you don't really feel you're watching humans, but that's perhaps the point. Um, The style is kind of the substance and... This film is all about kind of the modelling industry and the kind of the vacuous nature of it, I would say. Uh, in terms of influence, if you think about um, Fellini or David Lynch films, certainly, has, has anyone seen Mulholland Drive? I have not, no. No, I've not, no. Okay, well, another one Michael's a big fan of, uh, as I'm bad for it. This is very, it's very surreal. Uh, nothing feels of this world. And uh, I know a lot of people get very unsettled by a sort of surrealist narrative. Anything that doesn't feel relatable or at least warming, some people literally feel on edge over, uh, almost anxious. But um, this is definitely the case here, and it's it ends. I'm not going to spoil it, but it ends with a scene which will be shocking to anybody, and you probably won't have seen coming. 
Anyway, as I said, it's, it, this is a horror film meets art film, and I think it's largely successful. I mean, I went to see it with uh, three other people, Michael included, who also liked it. Um, one of the other people in my group came out, gave it a one-word review of, I don't have a fucking clue what went on there. Um, but I, <laughs> Funny one-word review. Yeah, oh, sorry, one-line <laughs> review. Um, <laughs> it was all uh, it's hyphenated. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was no, no, no breaks. Um, <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, <laughs> I thought it was largely successful. Um, certainly, I'm happy that he's moved a little bit away from Only God Forgives in the sense that this is coherent. It is. It does have a, you know, a consistent plot. Uh, I'm not. I'm not one of these people who insists that all forms follow a linear structure, but sometimes it helps. Um, if you're interested in kind of horror art films, I would recommend it. Um, otherwise, it's not going to be for everybody. Excellent. I presume you haven't seen this, then, Clive. I've not. No, it is on the list. It was. I was very nearly watched it the other day, actually, but I didn't get around to it in the end. But certainly, one I'm going to watch. And you've made uh, me even more intrigued there. Al. So, sounds interesting. You, you're kind of making it sound like I was expecting. I was. I didn't actually know it was the only God forgives director, but yeah. I got that vibe from it. In terms of, I've not seen Only God Forgives, but in terms of the style. The stylized nature of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it, it's got a lot of criticism, um, uh, saying you know this is style over substance again, and that's probably fair. However, in terms of the context of it being in the fashion world, it feels far more. I don't know. I'm far more forgiving of that. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, mm. I don't know. It seems to fit better with the. And I said the narrative has a structure. Yeah. It, there is a certain amount of linearity which only God forgives didn't have, which. Is what I felt further confused the issue. Uh, I know Michael didn't like this as much as Only God Forgives, but Michael uh, loves his art films. Um, yeah, and anyway. And he's a massive contrarian. Oh, of course, yeah, Michael's a huge contrarian. Um, that's why he's opposing the plastic bag law. It's not really. It's not that he has any real libertarian values, it's just, you know, any chance to be political, really. So was this, was this, on, um, was this on a wide release when it came out? It was fairly wide, actually, because I saw it at a um, certain cinema chain with which does a card, which I'm not going right. to mention unless they give me money. Um, Still haven't given you money, then? No. <laughs> no, they're, they're not interested. I've begged, but uh, not happening. Yeah, I was quite surprised it actually was on. I was on there. It was on, must have been on at multiple multiplexes, uh, to use a rather odd <laughs> phrase. But, um, yeah. It was. I, I was surprised. It was on quite a lot as well. I think it was only out for a week, but it was being shown about three or four times a day. Quite surprising. Oh, okay. no, yeah. Normally, you'd have to hunt in Stockton on Tees. Normally, you'd have to hunt this out at an art cinema, and you'd have to wait months and months for it. But not on this occasion. Possibly on the basis of the fact it's by this director. Mm. He's about as mainstream as it gets when it comes to art art house directors. Excellent. Well. Um, I must say it's passed me by a bit when it um, first came out I've heard a lot about it since but um, I never saw it advertised at the cinema or anything like that which is why I wondered what kind of release it was on maybe it's one I will have to hunt out at some point on the high seas you, you may hate it but you wouldn't necessarily be wrong it's one of those type of films yeah okay. well I, I, would... I, I kind of regretted afterwards walking out of only God forgives not because I thought it was ever going to that I was ever going to enjoy it but uh, I, I don't know I always felt bad about not giving it a full chance, so I've not I've yeah. tried to avoid walking out of things, you know, up to that point. But I've never walked out of a film in my life, including the time when Captain Phillips gave me nausea <laughs> and uh, li- literal seasickness. 
Brilliant. But I found, yeah, I don't know. I found, uh, I found only God forgives. It made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it, what you mean. It, you know, you know, kind of how um, Leave voters, when presented with what will happen when they voted Leave, rather than being able to comprehend it, got angry. I, a very similar response from me with that film. I couldn't comprehend it, so I got angry. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I voted leave. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on um, <laughs> to the Steel City. Indeed. Clive Fisher, what have you got for us today? Uh, many things. The first off, I'm going to start with a documentary film called Fire at Sea that I watched. Um, I mentioned that I watched this on the Music Hub podcast, the last one. Yeah. But um, yeah, so this is, I went through, I was wanting to know what films to watch. And I think I went on a Guardian because, you know, a sort of very left wing guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Guardian. Liberal pansy. List of best films of 2016 so far, because it was one of the only films I could li- find that listed uh, releases based on the UK release date rather than the American one. Not that I have any problem with the American release dates or America, just, you know, I live in the UK. So <laughs> UK release dates are more relevant to me. Yeah, you don't want to accidentally pick a fight with America here on the podcast, do you? Oh, no. Trump will be after me. <laughs> but oh, um, new best buddy, Nigel. <laughs> so, yeah, I read about this on there. I hadn't heard of it before that because, again, you're talking about uh, wide releases and such. I don't know if I saw this advertised anywhere, to be honest. So, I don't know. I assume it had a very uh, um, quiet release because there's quite a lot of indie cinemas in um, Sheffield and. Unless it maybe came out exactly when I was in Switzerland, I don't know, quite possible, but I didn't see it advertised anywhere. But this is an um, Italian film, it's called, um, uh, excuse my terrible pronunciation, Fuoco Amore uh, in Italian. Or oh, I did have the German name, which is a fan, which I'm a fan of. I think it's just called Feuersee, which is just like Feuersee, but in German, which I like. <laughs> Uh, no, Seerfeuer is what it's called in German. Big fan of that name. Um, and essentially, it's a film... Um, it's directed by Gianfranco Rossi, who's kind of a fairly well-known sort of documentary filmmaker, although he makes documentaries in a very different style to what documentaries you've probably normally seen. Um, I've not seen any of his others, but if this one's anything to go by, that's certainly true, and I've read up about a couple of his other ones, and it sounds they sound uh, pretty interesting as well. Um it basically captures life on the Italian island of Lampedusa, which is a, a front line in the migrant crisis, I believe, because it's in between. Um, I'm probably going to get my facts slightly wrong here, but it's like 50 miles from the African coast and 70 miles from the coast of Italy. It's an uh, Italian island, like I say, but I think I believe it is actually closer to Africa than it is to Italy. Um, and it's where a lot of boats, uh, migrant boats, get rescued or... Um, because there's a rescue station there and they can um, speak with their radios to this station and they quite often get called for help um, to this to the station at this island and end up getting rescued by the islands, um, the people who work on the island and the doctors there. Um, it follows essentially a... The main character's kind of a... There's just a 12-year-old boy who's from like a local fishing family and it follows kind of his day-to-day life uh nothing you know he doesn't have any massive events about as eventful as it gets for him as he has he has to go to see the doctor for for some problems a couple of times and um the doctor it also follows the doctor who is who treats the migrants um on their arrival and and yeah so it's it's very it's completely observant like there's 
I believe there's one interview in the entire film, um, which is which made the interview all the more impactful. And he interviews this doctor who just says um, he's just like incredibly, you know, an, an incredible human being. Um, and he's very um, he, he feels for these people and completely like understands the situation. And he has no and he's and um, I think one of the things that hit me the most was um, the fact that a lot of people tell him that he's, he tells people about these horrible things that he's had to deal with, like seeing, you know, um, dead bodies constantly carried off and having to assess people whether they're dead or not, um, or quite often pregnant. Some He's seen horrible things like children uh, who've been, they've given birth and they're still attached with the umbilical cord with both of them dead, and just horrendous things like that. And he, he says he talks to these to people and they say, oh, but you must get used to it after a while, no matter how horrible it is, and he just... Um, he says he can't get used to it and he just kind of starts crying and he says even after all these years he's not used to it and I think that that was a really kind of touching moment for me because I think people often say that that you might get numbed to these kind of things but I think there's certain things that you just don't get numbed to and I found the same when I worked in mental health sometimes people thought you'd get numbed to certain behaviors or certain just reading about certain people's backgrounds or but you, you don't really it kind of just hits you regardless of how many times you read it and um, and I thought that was, and I thought it was really well done that they only did that one real interview where the one person talked with a camera and it was such a, a, a poignant moment. And the rest of the time, it's literally just observing this boy's uh, life on the island. He goes out uh, shooting with his friend, doing some um, oh, slingshot. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. And um, he like shoots some things with a slingshot with a friend. They're just walking around. He get tries to deal with the fact he gets seasick by going to the pontoon and sort of. Uh, you know, just very sort of almost mundane day-to-day things that this kid does. And then it cuts between that and the things that are happening at this, the station where the migrants turn up and filming um, the migrant boats. And it's all very, like, there's never any music in the film. It's just completely what's happening. If there is music, it's, um, I believe it's called diegetic, where it's actually in the scene, or it could be the other way around. I always get the two confused. Um, so there's no music over the top it's always sometimes there's music playing but it's from the film and um, quite often there's like an italian uh, opera type singer uh, in this particular woman's house that's playing which i thought was a really good and it just made it it's two hours long as well it's quite long and it's quite slow as um, a lot of people would say but i just love the fact that it was just really observant and it doesn't force any emotions on you it's just like doesn't suddenly start playing sad music but a um, couple of moments in this film i was just like you know, I could barely watch and it was just absolutely horrifying and really, really sad. Um, there's a, a particular moment where they go up to the boat and all the people from the island are always dressed in like sort of kind of like you see in these films where they're quarantining people. They're like all in white with masks and gloves and stuff. And they, they're going up to this boat and they're, they're obviously pulling off the people who are the most sick first. And this boat is, you know, it's like the pictures you've seen in uh, whatever on the newspaper where it's just a boat completely rammed and there's not a single space free. And they're pulling the people who are most ill off this boat. And, you know, the, most of them look horrendously ill. And then they pull off someone who, to me, looked dead. And, it, you know, he wasn't moving at all. And it was just like the most horrible thing, one of those horrible things I've seen, certainly on screen. And I don't think he actually was dead, but it's a, it, at the time I thought so. And it just... You know, it just I just broke down. It was horrible. But again, like I say, there was no music playing. It was just the sound of the sea, and they're just carrying this guy off and getting on with it, carrying all these people onto the boat. And that was one of the scenes that I've actually made some notes here, but I've just gone completely off my head. Um, and then another scene, which 
left, which just kind of hit me really hard, was where the after they've got everyone off the boat and they've left the people who died to last, and there's just a, a camera shot of the like the cabin of this boat, and you can just see it's not particularly graphic, but you can see that there are some bodies around. And and it just sits there for a you know twenty thirty seconds with just the sound of the sea and the motor of this boat and it's just like it just oh, it's just so hard hitting and so it just makes you realise how bad this is and I said anyone who's stupid enough to think that and there are these people out there I know who think that um, these people are just going on this boat because of like you know the, like the equivalent of me going on a boat like this just just so that I might become a millionaire or that's the the kind of relative thing that people seem to be thinking that the people they've got reasonably comfortable lives they just want a bit more they're getting greedy and um, i've literally heard these um points of view and it's just disgusting to be honest they should watch this film no one would get on a boat like this um without the most horrendous conditions at home and it's just it's so upsetting that this happens and yeah i'm crying now because <laughs> jesus yeah it just hit me so hard and i think everyone should watch it it's Mm. really really good piece of cinema and i think um in terms of yeah i can see that the i've seen criticisms that the two that like the two things don't really uh meet at any point like the life of the kid and the conditions uh of these people that they're bringing onto the island and helping and um the doctor who's you know there's a couple of times where he's helping like pregnant people and he's having to have an interpreter like uh tell the woman what gender the child is and things like that and um it doesn't ever really tie those two together beyond the fact that the doctor's looking both after the kid and these people and they're getting the the migrants. But I don't think it needs to. I think it it's really good that it kind of contrasts those two things without saying anything explicitly how this kid's having a, you know, a perfectly normal life. He's got a really good upbringing and he's having, you know, a good, modest, you know, his, his family's not rich by any means, but he's having a good, a good modest upbringing and... <laughs> Yeah, he's got some problems, but they're minor. And then it, uh, a sort of um, contrast that with the problems that these people are having to deal with. And like I say, they're never ever interviewed. Or there's, the closest it gets to an interview is a guy does kind of a song. They do like an impromptu song together, and the lyrics to the song are the, all the places they've been and been rejected, and how they finally ended up on this boat. And that that's touching, but it's it's not an interview. Like I say, what he does do sometimes is just lingering on um, people's faces. So sometimes someone who's just got off the boat, he'll just linger on their face. And I think it says way more than any interview ever could. You can just read the emotions of that person. And it really brings across that I think sometimes it's hard for humans to uh, relate to the fact that other people have a soul and other people feel as well. And But it really kind of brings that out, that other people are just like you, you know. <laughs> and they're not just... I think it's hard for people to realise that. But I think the film does a really good job of that. So yeah, I think this is absolutely everyone should watch it and even if yeah some of the things are really really <laughs> upsetting and as you can tell it's upset me quite a lot but i think it needs to be seen and i just think it's a beautiful film and i'm glad it's been made that's about all wow. i have to say on it <laughs> well yeah that sounds incredibly powerful um i i really wanted to see this anyway um i never got round to see it it was never shown anywhere near me um yeah well how could you sell it better than that that's pure passion in terms of the endorsement i mean it's we're preaching probably to a converted crowd but you know if you have any illusions about these people sounds like you need to see this film absolutely absolutely and, and like i say it doesn't ever interview them about really what the problems are back home 
or anything like that. And I don't think it needs to. It's just like it must be so bad that <laughs> yeah. to, to, to put yourself through that because it's just the most horrific thing you could ever imagine. More horrific than just a picture of that boat will kind of show you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it looks kind of horrendous, but it's just a picture, you think, and but they're on this thing for months, and some other things, like the cabin's just stupidly hot, and yeah, just horrendous. <laughs> so yeah, I think if you, like I say, if you think anyone would, want, would put themselves through that just to make their life more comfortable than it already is, then you're, you're <laughs> very much mistaken. These people come from the most horrendous, yeah, exactly, come from the most horrendous conditions, and that's the only way you'd ever want to get on something like that. <laughs> Well, I think we have a, uh, a front runner for most powerful review of the year so far. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Thank you, Clive. That was, that was excellent. <laughs> oh, thank you. I wasn't expecting to uh, cry during it, but <laughs> that's, I suppose, added a, well, bit, of, added a bit of passion. That, that's the effect of it, clearly. Um, it, it had, well, like I say, it, has, it, it affected me deeply, yeah. And, I was, yeah, I was just watching it and, yeah. A brilliant, brilliant piece, and that's I'm sure what the filmmaker was trying to do. But he doesn't at any point hammer it down your throat, uh, which I enjoyed. But it's still it's had way more effect than you know millions of things who've tried to <laughs> sort of uh, bring that emotion out of you just by showing you what's actually happening, and that's all you needed to do, I think, because it just is horrendous. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hunt that out straight away. Um, Highly recommend like watch. Excellent, great. Well, thank you very much. Um, well, <laughs> someone left the mood. How do you, how do you follow that? <laughs> I tell, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what isn't a good way to follow that. It's with a review of DC's latest release, Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, well. Um, so, yeah, cool. Um, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is the only film that I've seen since the last time we recorded a film podcast um, that I can certainly remember, at least. Anyway, Suicide Squad was released last month and um, features the uh, all all singing, all dancing uh, anti-hero team um, featuring um, Deadshot, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Rick Flag, Captain Boomerang. Killer Croc and other um, other villains from the DC universe. It follows on in the same uh, in the same world as Batman vs Superman that came out earlier in the year and features uh, cameos from Ben Affleck. And uh, the film also stars Jared Leto as the latest incarnation of the Joker. Um, this film came out to wide-scale panning and it was received very harshly by critics and I was interested to see however that things like Rotten Tomatoes actually gave it a much better score when it came to the uh, ordinary viewers scores and thinking that maybe I could make the most of it and that I could go to the movie with a very very low expectations that maybe I could get something out of this movie. Um, I was very, very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> I I don't really want to go into this movie too much because um, I thought it was scandalous. Margot Robbie as uh, 
sorry, yeah, Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie, I thought was a fantastic, a, 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 an excellent choice, uh, excellent piece of casting. Uh, and um, the, I think Margot played her heart out in the role, and I think she suited it very well. And then had the rug pulled from underneath her by um, some terrible, awful, choppy, uh, misplaced directing and clearly ill-devised storyline that was seemingly made up on the run that also did a disservice to DC's fans and particularly fans of Harley Quinn and um, uh, and all her many storylines. Jared Leto never really got... I, I, don't, I don't know if he was a good or a bad Joker. He had a very odd run out um, with disc jointed discombobulating scenes will smith i thought was a pretty good dead shot and probably had the only the only sensible story uh, sensible as in it kind of you could kind of follow it and appreciate what it was trying to get at the only sensible story in the entire movie if you if you're a fan of superhero movies and you have heard more and more reviews in recent recent times with people getting more and more bored of the film genre and you consider yourself to still be a fan of the films regardless of that critical opinion um, in this particular instance you don't heed if you don't heed you, you, know, you don't heed that criticism at your own risk because this is incredibly poor yeah, I don't have. I don't really have too much more to say than that. I know Al, you've already seen it. You also yeah. have seen it. Sorry. What What did you think of the movie? Uh, abysmal. Um, the <laughs> The only thing I can say positive is I didn't think it was quite as bad as Batman versus Superman, and I'll give that to probably Mar. Well, like you said, Margot Robbie, I thought was excellent in it. The rest of it, it felt the plot felt like at DC they got one guy to stand in the middle of the room with a whiteboard and a marker pen. And then he got shouted at loads of ideas and he had to scribble them all down in no particular order and they just went, okay, we go with that. There was absolutely no coherence whatsoever. Um, the narrative felt like almost a computer game, just you know, run run down this city, fight this group, run on to the next building, fight this group. And I, th- I thought these special effects were ropey as hell. But what was particularly irritating was the fact that the entire promotion of the film was... Oh, these are anti-heroes. These are edgy. These are the bad guys. They mm-hmm. won't necessarily do what you're supposed to do. You know, I've seen more edge at a U2 concert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Another U2 reference. <laughs> there is a guy um, called Edge on stage constantly, so quite a lot. I do want to. I do want to put a disclaimer there that I've never seen U2. Um, I don't want that on my reputation. But still, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, they acted like superheroes. Um, perhaps superheroes with slightly not quite goody two shoes Superman, you know, kind of references, but they were essentially just good guys. And I felt that any edge that they'd claimed to have in the film just wasn't there whatsoever. It was just a colossal well, I call it a colossal disappointment, but my expectations were so low going into this after the absolute catastrophe that was Batman vs Superman that I didn't expect much from this. But I lived in hope Certainly the director, David Ayer, has done some interesting films in the past, but this isn't one of them. And I get the impression that this is kind of a top-down problem at DC, 
Um, certainly, you have to have a sort of a sort of um, a pyramid scheme in terms of you know the direction and theme of the universe if they're all going to fit into one. And you can't just have an auteur director on one doing one thing and the next director on, on another doing a completely different thing. But they've just got it wrong from the top. It's just bad management. It's created this murky, incoherent world which pays a little attention to plot or characterization. And I'm not asking for Citizen Kane here, but and I can appreciate they're trying to stand out from Marvel, but Marvel have done it so much better, and they've still had a few duds on their on their hands as well. Mm. Um, I'm totally bored of this Joma generally, but I'm especially bored of the DC jo- uh, universe. It will take. Uh, quite a lot of persuading for me to see another DC film and that's a shame because Batman's probably my favourite superhero but yeah I'm what can you say about this it was there's a guy at my work who is loves all these films I mean literally I've never heard him say a bad word against a single film ever he's one of these guys (laughs) who is every time he comes out the cinema best film ever Mm. and even he who was massively hyped for this didn't enjoy it which it says a lot. Yeah, sure does. There, there was a lot of talk uh, in a run-up to the release, particularly after, uh, immediately after the release of Batman versus Superman, that um, the, the DC universe lacked any humour or um, light-heartedness or comic relief that the Marvel films do so well, and that reshooting had taken place and rewriting. And I thought to myself, well, we've probably seen every joke in the trailer because that's how films go. And I thought that um, some of the some of the jokes may well seem ill placed or ill thought out, but the result was like a like someone had put a cherry on top of a dog turd. It was <laughs> the, the 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 film you could see that a scene had just been castrated and that it was clearly going to go in a different direction and then ended abruptly and jarringly and then a new scene would start and then quite a cool piece of music would start playing often and you could tell that rather than try and um, stress or strain over any kind of effort or artistic value that instead they would just play hits from the early noughties, late nineties and hope that people of my generation would make, think that made a good movie. It it was, ah man, it was such a kick in the balls of a film. Um, (laughs) And it's a real shame because if, if, um, if Roby's um, Harley disappears because of this movie, and I wouldn't blame anyone if it did, it would be a uh, a real disservice to the to the genre because her performance was was so good and could have been so so brilliant and could have, if done right, it could have it could have pulled this universe around. But her her storyline, particularly at the end, was inexplicable. And you made a very good yeah. point, Al. These super villains were not at all were not at all um, edgy or well thought out or complicated characters. And it seems that the whole DC universe has just flipped upside down. That the good guys are 
are just completely conventional bad guys with no redeeming quality whatsoever. And the bad yeah. guys are completely normal good guys with no interesting <laughs> edge or anti-hero element to them. What's it? They've got it. The whole universe is is upside down. I did. I did have a, the only problem I had with Margot. Well, not with Margot Robbie, but with the direction of Harley Quinn. Aside from the fact her plot was incoherent, like you said, I felt that the camera often leered leered over her a lot. Yes. Now I appreciate. Now I appreciate she's a character who uses her sexuality to manipulate people, but I didn't feel I needed a shot of her bending over every five minutes. You know, it felt like Michael Bay directing uh, Megan Fox to bend over a a motorbike in Transformers. It was that kind of subtlety. Absolutely, <laughs> a, a, a subtlety that for me was. Uh, further, further demonstrated with uh, Katana and Captain Boomerang, both. I know that you you base these characters on portrayals from comics, but they were verging verging on on awful derivative stereotypes. Both. I mean, it was Captain Boomerang. Let's 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 just you know call call a spade a spade. What utter shit! I mean, come on, that's got to be the worst character ever created of all time. You've just got an, an Aussie guy who throws a boomerang. I mean, Absolutely. Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> literally, you could get more sense from a a vegetable, quite literally. It was... Uh, and by that, I mean a literal vegetable. I'm not talking... Um, I'm not talking about somebody with brain damage. I'm talking about literally a vegetable. You could roll it off and it would create a better... I mean, you could even use a better Aussie stereotype than that. You know, at least go for Crocodile Dundee. It was... Uh, Woeful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Adam <laughs> and and Slipknot was. Um, it's not very often you see people, uh, Native North American actors, cast in movies, and he got given about <laughs> three and a half minutes. Not even, maybe not even that <laughs> on the screen yeah. before <laughs> uh, before disappearing. Um, and if you know, if you'd asked after the movie, which one of those two you'd you know, out of Captain Boomerang and Slipknot, you'd have seen summarily dismissed from the movie gratuitously. You know, you'd have had a, a pretty clear favourite and it didn't go that way. <laughs> well, apparently Tom Hardy was originally going to play uh, the part of Rick Flagg, but dropped out of it. I think he's got away with that. I don't think he realises what he was getting himself into. Absolutely. His reputation is good, generally. I can't think of a bad film I've seen him in. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he's done a few stinkers, but you know he's got away with that. Trust me. Mm. Wow. Well. Anyway, Clive, have you seen this? I have not, and um, yeah, Good. I mean, I've... save yourself. <laughs> yeah. Keep walking. I'm kind of fatigued on. I think I've mentioned this on Captain America: Civil War, which yeah. uh, got yeah. good reviews, and I wasn't that bothered about seeing that. So when something gets panned, I'm even less bothered. So yeah, because I am a bit. Like, if I'm if it's got like Civil War, I'll probably w- watch at home. But um, yeah, no, I'm probably not even going to watch this at home unless I just want to see how bad it actually is. <laughs> Maybe I'll get. I think curious. I think to give this, I think to give this movie credit, it has um, it has worked really, really hard to um, to not let superhero fatigue be the reason that it's rubbish. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I mean, uh, they did an excellent job promoting this film. I'll give them that, and it's made oh, a bucket load of cash. Bastards. And, and it's not going anywhere, which is a sad thing, but, you know. 
this is the year of Suicide Squad, Brexit, and possibly Trump. Possibly the worst on on living record. <laughs> Certainly up there. <laughs> anyway, right, right. Moving on. Um, yeah, back oop north with Alex Wayne. Even f- further oop north uh, this week. I'm in South Shields. Uh, wow. On. On, on the coast. Uh, right, the next one we're going to talk about, fortunately, will not be as negative as Suicide Squad, although there are certain reservations, definitely. I'm going to talk about a film that we discussed the soundtrack of uh, on the music podcast. Oh, cool. Uh, da- David Brent, Life on the Road, uh, written and starring and directed by Ricky Gervais, uh, also starring Doc Brown, uh, the rapper, uh, actor, and occasional podcast presenter, aka Ben Bailey Smith. Uh, Andy Burroughs of Razorlight, Tom Basden and Joe Hartley. Uh, the plot, for anyone who doesn't know, revolves around the Office character David Brent uh, taking a last attempt at fame, uh, cashing in his pensions to fund a tour of the Berkshire area, or pretty much just generally Slough, uh, with his new backing band, who are based on his teenage attempt to foregone conclusion. Um, anyone who doesn't know Brent, this is probably not going to make a whole lot of sense to you, but I don't have time to go over the entire of The Office. Go and watch it. It's superb. Um, as much as I have reservations about this and other work, which I'm going to go over, The Office remains, for me, the best sitcom I've ever written. Um, I'll start with the positives. Now, the film will make Office fans laugh with a similar blend of, sort of cringe-inducing social observation. And a particular note is the excellent soundtrack. Um, Michael discussed it on the, on the music podcast, and it... It really is excellent. It's um, in terms of comedy soundtracks, it's right up there with Spinal Tap, um, Team America, and others. Um, highlights would definitely be the track Slough, and the very controversial but excellent power ballad. Please don't make fun of the disabled. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So on the positive side, the music is truly hilarious, and in. In any in any other light with different lyrics, you could imagine them being hits. Um, they've got good beats, you know. They've got good good guitar. I mean, it's kind of dad rock, but you know, a lot of people like dad rock. And uh, Brent plays up to well, Jabase as Brent plays up to that. And I'm all for that. If this had just been that soundtrack being released, so him in character as Brent releasing a soundtrack, I'd have been all positive on this. However, onto the more negative side, uh, this feels like David Brent. Or the office without the sort of grounding, uh, the situation feel less likely and less observational than they did in the office, and the jokes seem to be far too on the nose. I suspect that perhaps the lack of Stephen Merchant in this production, the office co-creator, uh, may may have you know, made a problem with the narrative. However, anyone who's seen Life's Too Short, which Merchant was still involved with, can make a fair argument against that. It's possible that Gervais has just largely lost his way. There isn't any normalised characters in this film. There's basically, there is Brent, then there is a whole host of people acting really rude, really nasty, um, and just inducing cringe. Whereas, as as much as we've all seen horrible people in real life, I don't think we've ever really come across people like this. And it felt like in The Office you could have met any of these people at any point. And that's completely missing here. They feel like they're all shills for Brent to bounce off. Without the nicer normalised characters to bounce off, Brent is cartoonish, and his behaviour seems to have been amped up. 
they be, the other characters behave so badly, albeit with a sort of rude pretense. Uh, there's a character called Jezza, who's the office bully, who is just unrecognisable as a real person. It feels like he's been written. Just uh, mm. it doesn't feel it doesn't feel feasible. I don't know how to put that across any other way. And Brent's band, who are apparently nice people, uh, you know, who can't stand his cringe or his um, faux attempts at social justice, still act with an unbelievable level of impoliteness that make them more contemptible than Brent. I will say as well that there is one of the best writing elements of The Office, in my opinion, was the, was the whole idea that off-camera Brent is a lot more ordinary, a lot more likeable. Uh, the fact that he's just trying to impress the camera, try to be this renaissance man, this musician who stands up for justice and obviously coming across as a complete burk. Um, but that's totally lost in this. While it's still shot in the same style as a mockumentary, it feels... Some of the situations you're thinking to yourself, how on earth were they filming this bit? It just doesn't feel feasible. And in terms... Brent had a lot of character development in The Office... Certainly in the Christmas specials, Brent kind of has his moments where he stops trying to impress the audience and he stops trying to impress the tossers like Finchie. And he gets a laugh, he gets his date to like him, and we feel that maybe Brent is finally acting more like how he would off-camera and maybe he's finally making those steps that he doesn't have to try and be something he's not. Now, that's totally been wiped out here, erased. We're back to Brent as he was at the start of the office, albeit on ADHD medication he's just he's hyped up uh, he's lost the character de- development and what I find really irritating as a comparison is you take someone like Alan Partridge another enduring comedy creation uh, a creation I might add that had none of the pathos of Brent uh, you know Alan Partridge has always just been a comedy there's never been that kind of dramatic effect that The Office had um, but Partridge has adapted as the years have gone on. He, he started off as a typical kind of early 90s Daily Mail reading Tory. And nowadays he's the compassionate conservative Tory of David Cameron. And it makes sense. You know, people change. People have some kind of moments in their life where they adapt and change their views. Maintaining a certain you know element of the key character that made them who they were, but adapting. And David Brent has not moved on at all. The character has not moved on, and it's completely erased, like I said, that past character development. This kind of all feels like Gervais massaging his ego and pursuing the pop career that he didn't succeed with, with Shauna dancing. Now, I know know it sounds like I'm kind of shitting all over this here. I will say, all in all, there is definitely laughs, and like I said, excellent music. But all in all, it feels like an undiluted retread and a step back at the same time. It feels like uh, Ricky Gervais has gone back, he's seen... The office ending, and he's decided to edit it out. It feels like that moment when George Lucas re-edited, so Han Solo shot second. It feels like you're taking away a key part of a classic creation. Um, so overall, this was a disappointment. However, I won't lie; I laughed a lot in some in, in a lot of scenes. I think it'll depend how much dramatic pathos you took from the office as to how you feel about this film. Certainly, if you just took it as a comedy, you might be a fan of this. But I took it as something a bit more than that, I think. And that's why I'm very disappointed. Very passionate um, review there, anyway. I'm, uh, I am I want to watch this, but yeah, I'm probably going to wait till it comes out on TV. But I'm more intrigued in the soundtrack, because both the soundtrack of you seem to excellent. say that's excellent. Yeah, excellent. So. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, there's just 
like I said, it's just it's not. It's taken what was one of the great parts of the offense, and it's just completely removed it. Mm, yeah. And we're back with Brent just being Brent, and then there's a very hasty bit at the end of the film where he seems to have a little mini redemption again, but it feels tagged on. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, Gervais does that one bit of acting he does where he cries, where he kind of turns his head at the same time, and he's quite good at it, but it's getting old now. Um, <laughs> did you have any interest in seeing this, Dev? Yeah, I'll be going tomorrow to go and see, uh, Sunday to go see it. Mm. I think I think uh, you will. I'm in- going in the past to go see it for those people who are listening to the recording. Ah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll certainly enjoy it. You, I, I'll be surprised if you think it was a total waste of time. You know, it'll pass a it'll pass an hour and a half. You'll get a few laughs out of it, but it's it's the same humor really without moving on. And the film also has a really strange obsession with fat women for some reason. And it it's I don't know it's weird. I feel like Gervais. I feel like Gervais as a I'm sure as you know as you'll see from his Twitter account he really doesn't care for people to criticize him. But it feels like he's lost his way quite a bit. But you know this is a man who I'll give credit to for being a comic genius with The Office, and I really liked extras as well. But I feel he's lost it. How was um, how was Doc Brown in this? Oh, he's very good, actually. Um, he's very likeable. I mean, the first time I was aware of him was as a podcast presenter on uh, Wittertainment. And mm. he's very likeable in this. Um, he does a few raps. As he's part of the tour with Brent. Brent is uh, yeah. essentially his manager and forces him to come along on this tour. Um, and he is one of the few likeable characters in it. He's one. He's the only character who's consistently pleasant to Brent, despite Brent being obviously a buffoon. Um, and he's the only character who comes across as potentially viable. Um, but yeah, he's very good. Yeah, I don't know what his acting chops are like, and I'm sure he's playing somebody who's not a million miles away from the real person. But yeah, no, he's perfectly fine. Uh, I mean, none of the performances are really problematic. I mean, e- even Gervais is good as Brent. It's the writing that's the problem. Mm. Do you know who Doc Brown's sister is? Yes, Zadie Smith. No, yeah, no. Zadie Smith. Other, yeah, what a talented bastard family that is. I know that is a, that is a, you know that's that's disgusting. That really isn't it. They're so yeah. talented, it's ridiculous. But I, I take comfort in the fact that there are three others whose name I don't even know. I mean, I mean, I don't know what the three other kids have done, but essentially, based on them two, he's the fuck up. You know, he he's the successful rapper, come comedian come presenter slash actor and he's the fuck up yeah <laughs> exactly yeah no he, he's very likeable he's um obviously very talented rapper um yeah I'd like cool. to see him in other things well I'll go to see this and I won't expect the office well expect a lot of the same humour but like I said expect it to be it's like you're drinking a pure shot of Ribena without the water <laughs> It's, it's a little a, bit sweet, a little bit... It sounds like what a lot of people have said, yeah, to me, that it's like, it, it lacks the bit that's makes, like, The Office is very relatable and f- feasible, like you said, whereas yeah. a lot of the stuff in this isn't. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, um, yeah. no, it, it will make you laugh, but don't expect much more from it than that. Cool. Excellent. So, um, 
back to the Steel City for a second time. Clive, have you got something else you wanted to talk about today? Yeah, I'm going to I'm just going to quickly whiz through these two because I know we're uh, getting on for time. We've still got film of the month, etc. And I promise not to cry during any of these two reviews. So <laughs> um, I'm going to mention a couple of, uh, you know, less widely known indie releases that I've watched. Um, the first one of which... Yeah, Puppy which... Stranglers 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually my first one. No, the first one is um, one that I hadn't heard of until um, I went... It's on. Net- it's a Netflix original film. It's called Tallulah, and it came out this year. I don't know when this year, but... <clears throat> I know it's releasing this year. I don't know whether it's had any cinema release or anything like that. No idea, but I know it's a Netflix original. Um, it's directed by Sean or Sean Hader, who I think did some of the writing for Orange is the New Black, as far as I'm aware. But other than that, I don't know anything that she's done, so not a big name by any means. And stars Ellen Page and Alison Janney as the two sort of uh, main the two protagonists, I suppose. Um, essentially, it follows Ellen Page, who's a girl like living out of a van, who ends up sort of spoiling the first sort of ten minutes of the film. But I feel like it's impossible to do a review without mentioning this. And like I say, it's in the first ten minutes, so it's hardly a spoiler. And um, she's trying to make some money. She goes inside a hotel to sort of uh, eat leftovers that are like left outside people's doors, and ends up bumping into this woman, who then confuses her for a one of the hotel pe- uh, the people working at the hotel and persuades her to look after her daughter and because she's offering quite a lot of money to do this Ellen Page uh, takes her up on the offer and ends up looking after her daughter the woman is clearly incapable of looking after a child like she has no clue she's drunk and um, so I think Ellen is immediately feels quite sorry for this child and eventually ends up taking the child um, in a slightly inexplicable move to me, like it seems like she should just call child services or something like that, but she ends up just taking the child and looking after it herself, despite the fact she's got nowhere to really... Um, she lives in a van, like I say. Um, she goes to her boyfriend, who she's just broken up with, her boyfriend's mum, and the mum hasn't been in contact with her boyfriend, so she doesn't realise they've broken up, and she makes out that the child is his um, which in a slightly dark move and then just so that the, this woman will look after her and look after the baby um, and essentially it follows this th- uh, that story so that, that she's looking after the baby at this woman's house who thinks it's her grandchild but it isn't and it's sort of while all the while this the woman whose baby actually is, is has got the police involved and is trying to get this uh, child found and whoever's uh, they're trying to find um, Ellen Page's character Tallulah who's kidnapped essentially kidnapped the child and it just follows like mainly it focuses on the relationship between the you know the mother of her boyfriend and Ellen Page and how things slowly get revealed what the effects that has on the relationship and I think the performances of Ellen Page and Alison Janney are, are what makes the film really I think they're both excellent and make the quite implausible situation a bit more uh, believable which I think is impressive considering it is when you think about it not I, I think the plot has a lot of holes but I did I did really enjoy this film I think the performances were great. It brought up uh, some interesting questions, uh, some interesting moral dilemmas, which was interesting to see how the the main characters dealt with that and the the problems that uh, Ellen Page was going through in terms of that she didn't want to give the child back. She didn't believe that uh, the mother was capable of looking after her and things like that. But I think um, overall it was just kind of okay because of the... I I hated the ending. I hated the ending. Um, It's sometimes that the film kind of like thrust 
views down your throat, uh, completely opposite to the <laughs> I've talked about before. It's kind of trying to, it's trying to be clever, but it's doing it in a very obvious way, which I didn't really like. And I really hated the ending, which kind of, there's this thing they talk about in the middle of the film, I'm not going to spoil it, just kind of a metaphor. And then at the end, they show you how this, um, how it's all come good using this same metaphor, but visualizing it. And it, yeah, it just, it didn't work at all for me. And I really didn't like the ending at all. And it kind of ruined it a little bit. I think if it hadn't been for the ending, I'd give this a, you know, a seven, a seven or possibly even an eight, because I thought the two performances, particularly Ellen Pages, I thought she was fantastic. But because the ending just left me with a bit of a sour taste. So, but I would, I would still, you know, it's on Netflix. Um, if you've got Netflix, I would recommend watching it. It is interesting. It, yeah, it's an interesting watch and brings up some interesting questions. So that's one I'm going to talk about. And the second one, which I'm just going to go into it quickly, is one that um, is one of my favourite films I've watched so far this year, and that's Rams, um, which is a film, an Icelandic film, directed by, and this is the only um, Icelandic person's name I'm going to attempt to pronounce, uh, Grimmer Hohanarsson, I believe. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to uh, pronounce the first two, the, the the leading two actors, because they've got letters in that, I don't know how you pronounce. So this... Yeah, like Z, hey. Way. Boom. Uh, this follows a... It's about an Icelandic farming valley. It follows two brothers... Um, who haven't spoken to each other in 40 years, despite the fact they basically live on the same farm, practically next door. They both are looking after a particularly sort of rare breed of sheep, and a sheep rare of sheep that, that Iceland seems to be well known for, even though I don't know a lot about sheep. Um, and they're told that their flock of sheep, that there's um, scrapey, I think the disease is called, in their sheep, and they have to uh, essentially kill all their sheep and then they won't be like they'll they'll get paid for the as you know earning the same amount of money that they have been for the next two years but they won't be allowed to then raise sheep for another two years until they can confirm that the disease has fully gone and obviously this is for the two guys who essentially have done nothing but raise sheep for their entire lives and they they love sheep it's, it's just absolutely heartbreaking for them and it kind of follows the story of these two and how these two uh, guys who've never really got on event kind of start to come together a little bit to not facing a common enemy i suppose but kind of trying to they try to make some of these sheep survive basically and it's yeah it's i think it's an excellent excellent film it's really really well shot like the it helps with the fact that iceland is clearly just a stunning place because some of the shots are just like amazing and the place where the the farm farm is is absolutely beautiful so just for that, it's worth watching, I'd say. But the performances of both the lead characters who play um, Gummy and Kiddy, their characters are called, are, are both fantastic. And it's just a, it's a really, really human story. It's, you know, quite slow. Um, just There's no never really any particular action as such, but it just follows the, the relationship of, of these two dealing with this problem and how they deal about it. And um, I've heard some people didn't like the ending, but I, I thought the ending was really, really good and... Again, it's quite a it, like the Tallulah ending. It's a sort of ending which has a lot of imagery about it. But unlike the Tallulah ending, which I didn't think worked at all, the Rams one I thought was really, really good, and I, I liked it. So yeah, I, I would highly recommend Rams. I think it's getting a little bit of underground praise, and people are starting to hear about it, but not enough. Um, <laughs> I I got yeah. recommended it by a podcast that I listened to, and the guy on it really liked it. And yeah, I have to second that it's. Also, it's um, another thing worth mentioning. It's it's kind of a dark comedy as well, and um, pretty funny in points. Not you know, 
slapstick, <laughs> but yeah, certainly some there's some funny elements to the film. Excellent. Yeah, yeah I heard of, I've heard about this. This sounds really really good. Um, I might watch it as well because I'm going to Iceland in November. Oh wow, jealous. Uh, yeah, can't wait. Uh, we've got to Reykjavik, um, so I don't know how close to the, that kind of area it would be, but um, yeah, sounds really really interesting. Uh, Tallulah, you've kind of you've, you've you've piqued my interest, but then you've you've kind of dimmed my uh, expectations at the same time. I might give it a watch. We'll see. Yeah, and like I say, I think it is worth a watch. Um, you might like mm. it more. I did like it. You know, it's a six, seven out of ten somewhere around there, but just had some flaws that were a bit obvious for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but those flaws certainly aren't the performances, and I'd say it's worth watching for those. I did see a trailer for Rams ahead of. Um ahead of the lobster when I saw that and I thought it looked absolutely fantastic and that was still a few weeks before it came out I think and then I managed to forget about it until you just mentioned it now so I'll definitely go and hunt it out yeah like I say I highly recommend it I've watched the lobster as well actually <laughs> it's uh, less weird than the lobster shall we say but I like the lobster <laughs> I like the lobster as well <laughs> excellent so um, yeah we Al is there is there anything else you wanted to talk about today um, I'm not going to go into any great deep. I've seen, as I mentioned, I've seen a lot of films since we last did it, and I felt I'm going to really just do a very brief point that this has been quite a poor summer, I would say, in terms of uh, film releases. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at um, a little list I've done with general scores next to them before I've written my reviews, and I'm counting out of seven reviews, I'm counting four six out of tens, one seven. And a four out of ten. Um, basically, it's been a film of very average to good films. Mm. Um, I, other films I've seen, for instance, I've seen Star Trek Beyond, the latest Star Trek offering, which um, I enjoyed mostly, um, but didn't feel like it was taking any kind of gamble whatsoever with what is, you know, fairly extensive source material. Um, felt just like the other two. Um, I've seen Jason Bourne, the latest Jason Bourne, Jason Bourne movie. Uh, which was very watchable, very much in the style of the other films, but completely unnecessary at the same time. In fact, it actually bears some comparison with David Brent Leif on the road in the sense that the fucking was something that was perfectly fine, did not need making again, had a great ending. Um, this is all t- a little bit more successful than Brent, but still. And I've seen the only other really, po- the only re- the most positive film I've seen uh, this summer so far would have to be. Uh, the Shallows. I might be going to see this, but yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's um, essentially it's a very tightly knit sort of inventive little th- shark thriller. It'll certainly keep you guessing, and um, you'll never be while you're never going to be quite on your edge if you see like I'd possibly expected. It's uh, very inventive and really well shot, and I was I'm very intrigued by the concept. I like the fact that she can see safety. But she can't make it. I like the fact she isn't stuck at sea. That would be there'll be an impossibility to that. It's quite inventive that she's stuck on a rock, two hundred yards from the shore. Okay. Which I liked a lot. Yeah. Uh, so the only other one I'm going to talk about. Sorry, um, there was one more positive, and I'll talk with a slight bit more in depth. Would be uh, the BFG. Uh, has anyone else seen this before I go no. into it? I've not. No. I'm surprised that you haven't actually, Clive. It feels like you see and read a lot of kind of good kids' releases. Yeah, I, this is one I have wanted to watch, although I haven't been necessarily that keen to watch it in the cinema. It's one that I'm probably going to watch when it comes out. 
But yeah, I think you're right about the. It has been a trick. Like I have looked at the cinema releases recently, and there's just been nothing that I've been particularly wanting to watch. So I've ended up usually seeking out stuff that came out earlier in the year that I missed, such as yeah. Rams and things like that. <laughs> and yeah, it just yeah it doesn't well, seem to be a lot going on. All I'll say about the BFG is it's uh, really well done. Um, Mark Rylance is predictably superb in it. Um, I mean, it's always hard to know how much credit to give to somebody who's doing a CG performance, uh, but certainly you can tell in the facial movements uh, and even just the tone of his voice that he really gets the idea of the BFG. And um, the child actress in it, Ruby Barnhold, is brilliant, perfectly encapsulates that character. And... It's just fun from start to finish, to be honest with you. It looks good, it's funny. Certainly it has the best fart gag in I've ever seen. Um, straight from the pages of Roald Dahl. And I, felt <laughs> it was ge- I felt it was generally very, very um, loyal to the source material. My only criticism, and this did jar with me, was a slight moment of Americanization. Um, the Giants, who anyone who's read this book will know, uh, tend to pick on the BFG, who's at the runt of the Giant group. At one point, one of them picks him up and tells the other one to go long. And I'm a huge American football fan, but (laughs) I'm sorry, but these giants are not supposed to be American. You know, they would not say that. And it was really quite jarring. But other than that, I have absolutely no complaints with this film. (laughs) I think um, it captures the spirit of the the original source material. Um, It looks gorgeous. Really good performances. Highly recommend it to anyone with a child or anybody who has a nostalgic memory about the BFG. I wouldn't say it's going to blow you, blow your world, and I'm not sure you need to see it. You know, the book's always going to be superior, but, you know, really, really well done. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely seek this one out. I was going to have a little theory there that maybe um, film studios don't focus on releases that come out in an Olympics in an Olympic summer. It'd be the Euros at the start of the summer and then the Olympics. So I thought I'd have a look back, thinking that's such a good theory. At 2012, the summer of 2012 saw um, the Avengers searching for Sugar Man and the Dark Knight Rises. So, <laughs> not my finest ever idea. Well, it, it's it's brilliantly honest that you've admitted this. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you know, you could have easily kept that under wraps, and you'd have. You know, nobody would not known the wiser, but yeah, very, very fair point. I think there are some better films coming up, by the way. Um, I'm certainly interested uh, in September, uh, the Snowden film coming up by Oliver Stone, who seems like the right kind of guy to deal with that. Um, and we've got a film called The Founder as well, which is about the guy who basically robbed the McDonald brothers of their restaurant. And it sounds pretty interesting. And we've got some got some bigger releases towards the end of the year, such as Star Wars Rogue One to look mm-hmm. out for. So I've got I've got hope for the rest of the year, but it has been certainly the the middle of this year has been very disappointing. Oh, obviously the Birth of a Nation as well, which is probably my most eagerly anticipated film. Um, just while we're mentioning things quickly, I'll just quickly say um, another film, another indie one that I've. Uh, I would see it in the cinema on my own, actually. Again, when I looked around, there wasn't much on, and then I read up about it. it. Sounded really intriguing. Embrace of the Serpent. I don't know if anyone's heard of this. I've heard this is. I've heard this is fantastic. I read on some list somewhere it was best film of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one I need to watch again. It's kind of quite surreal at points, and yeah, it does a lot of interesting things. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I, yeah, I would. Like I said, I do need to see it again, but. I would definitely recommend seeing it, especially if you like the kind of black and white old style. It is very classical in its style. It doesn't feel like a 2016 film. 
Um, but I mean that in a good way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, I'd definitely recommend watching it. So if you can seek can it, you, it's probably not in the cinema anymore. But <laughs> what what is it about? That's one thing I don't know. Um, essentially, it's about a like the last sort of um, surviving member of of this tribe in the Amazon. A guy, uh, a guy's kind of like I don't know if it's a botanist. I think it's a botanist kind of seeking around. Um, looking at uh, different plants and things and he meets this the, the last remaining guy of this amazonian tribe and it's kind of flashes back between the story of um this guy had previously met an, a, another white explorer in the area and it kind of uh sort of switches between those two stories it's really interesting but it is also kind of surreal and weird at times as well <laughs> it's kind of yeah it's not quite what i expected it to be but um, I think it's really good and a really kind of visionary piece of cinema, I think. I think someone like Michael will love it, for example. I think he should definitely seek it out. Um, and it might. So what, some people might not because it's a little bit weird. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it, the two performances, two central performances in it, in it are great. And, yeah, I just, it's just really interesting, I think. <laughs> cool, excellent. But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it as a main thing because I wasn't really sure what to... I think someone like Michael would be able to assess it much better than I would, but yeah, I just came yeah, out. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those where I came yeah. out of it not entirely knowing what to make of it, but in a positive way. It kept like I kept thinking about it for days and days afterwards. <laughs> if you know what I mean, but I do feel like I need to watch it again. I'm sure Michael could talk about it quite lubriciously. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, maybe <Cool>. talk. <laughs> No, I'm not even. I'm, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> right. So, uh, moving on next to uh, film of the month, which yeah. last month was uh, a history film, I believe was the genre chosen, uh, and I chose Battleship Potemkin. Um, so, we've we've all three watched it this time, which makes the first first time in quite a while that we've all bothered to do that. <laughs> um, so Battleship Potemkin, um, a, a Soviet propaganda film created in 1925. It's a silent movie um, directed by Sergei Eisenstein of Mosfilm. And it is a dramatisation of the mutiny uh, on board the eponymous uh, battleship in 1905, so 20-odd years before the film was made. Um, dramatisation of the mutiny that occurred above, uh, on that battleship which is often seen as a precursor to the Russian Revolution, which followed um, seven years after that. So the film, the film starts with um, sailors on board this ship uh, increasingly disgruntled at the, uh, the state of the food that they're offered and the work that they had to do whilst they're being bullied by condescending officers um, and decide that they're going to stand for this no more, and that they should uh, that the that the sailors uh, on board are all for one and one for all, and will rise up against the um, the officers the officers on the ship. And after the mutiny, one of the mutineers um, is taken to shore in Odessa, which is um, in Ukraine. Uh, now in Ukraine, was in the Soviet Union where the workers on uh, in the city uh, also take on this revolutionary spirit before being um being violently oppressed by russian uh, state troops yeah what did 
what did you guys think of this? Al, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> well, I watched it uh, last... No, sorry, uh, two days ago. After a 12-hour shift, which is perhaps a mistake. Um, yeah, I, I can. I think I appreciated it more on a uh, technical and kind of contextual basis than as just as a piece of film work. Um, certainly, I've been told beforehand, perhaps by you, how influential it was. Um, and certainly that Odessa step sequence was marvellously shot and clearly influenced a whole handful of films. Uh, most noticeably for me, the one I actually picked out without reading about it afterwards on Wikipedia, uh, the influence on the final kind of killing montage in The Godfather. Mm. And y- you can tell it was way ahead of its time. Just the just the terms of the technical wizardry required in 1925 to produce something like that. And in fairness, for a silent film, I never. I've often. I've watched a couple of silent films, which aren't you know sort of Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin. And sometimes I think you can feel, maybe not lost with the plot, but you're not entirely certain what's going on until it's explained to you. And I never felt that with this. Um, yeah, it's obviously a film of its time. Um, anybody who's interested in kind of editing process in particular, I think, uh, should probably watch this as you know, it's a precursor to so many fast edit techniques that are used today. And obviously, as a piece of history, and we did pick a historical film as the genre, it's quite, you know, I think I believe it was described by Joseph Goebbels as a perfect film. So, um, you know, it's obviously... High praise. A piece piece of... um, a legend of all time. Yeah, you know... um, Friend of the podcast, Joseph Goebbels, (laughs) though. (laughs) It's, um, you know, it's... Obviously, one of the all-time great propaganda films. I came away from it a communist, so there you go. <laughs> it's obviously worked. Well, Clive, I mean, you were a uh, you were a Trotskyist before you watched the film. So how did you <laughs> how did you find it? Well, um, yeah, I really enjoyed. I watched this earlier today. Actually, it's on the YouTube. If anyone else is keen to watch it, so pretty easy. Yeah, to, on the pretty YouTube. easy to watch. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It took me a few... Like, this is the first ever silent film I've watched, actually, so for me it was kind of quite momentous in that sense. Um, I've seen snippets of them before, but I've never watched a whole film. And, yeah, after, like, sort of ten minutes, it took me, like, ten minutes to get into it, but then I, I did really get into it, and I really enjoyed it. I think um, what else said is true in terms of... I don't think it's never going to be as impactful as it was back then as it is now. Like, um, certain things, such as, for example, the soundtrack to me gave... It's got this constant sort of uh, trumpety, orchestrally soundtrack over the top, which to me gave it a very whimsical feel, whereas I think back then that would have probably been quite dramatic. So that's probably something that's changed a little bit. Um, I think the uh, Dessa Step scene that um, Al's already mentioned was would have been back then really, really impactful. And I think even though now it's really, really well shot and um, there's one particular shot in it, um, which is this kind of this tracking shot in it, where they're running down the steps, which is only like four or five seconds, but I was really impressed with uh, how they w- would do that in 1920s with the size of cameras they had, etc., etc. So I'm not sure how they pulled that one off. But yeah, there's some really, really exp- um, impressive camera techniques and uh, cinema techniques in that particular scene, definitely. But I think even like, I think for the time that was quite graphic, or at least that's what I've read. Um, but now it's it doesn't really affect you in that way. It's not, I didn't, you know, when it shoots, when it when there's a shot of the woman with the glasses and bleeding and stuff, it, you know, it's not as powerful anymore as it probably was back then. But I think it is 
a film that people should watch just as a piece of history. And I did really, even just not as a piece of history, I really enjoyed it. I got into it and I thought, I really enjoyed the fact it was uh, divided into acts as well. I think that's kind of underused in cinema. I, I really like that, how it was a little bit like a book and it uh, announced the start of each chapter. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> and I think that's something that maybe sh- someone should try and bring back sometime and uh, try and co- incorporate that into a more modern cinema. So, yeah, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm glad you picked this, Dave, because, uh, like I say, I haven't watched a film like yeah. this before. And I, I, I did really enjoy it. So I'm going to seek out some others, some more comedy efforts, such as uh, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Uh, it's, it's interesting what you say there about um, the kind of shock value of those, some of those shots because um, absolutely they're not the most horrific gore that you're going to get to see in a, in a movie. But I did find them still quite, um, still very impactful. And the impression I'm under is that films of this era did feature much more, much more graphic. Um, depictions of all kinds of things um sex violence disability all kinds of things um which were later censored um in the production code and then Mm. hollywood's only kind of only kind of accepted that kind of that amount of graphic display much much later so um, there are all kinds of films in the 1920s and ni- in early 1930s that are way more graphic than anything you'd ever have seen in the 50s and 60s, which I've, I've always found to be quite fascinating because you always presume that um, your generation is slightly more gross than your parents' generation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's not you know, very often not the case. I thought, I, I, this is the first time that I'd seen the movie all the way through uh, and I was I was very impressed. I had seen that Odessa Steps scene before, and it is um, I mean it's probably one of the most the, one of the most important and famous and rightfully so scenes and locations in all of film history. It and it's it's interesting to watch as a fan of The Godfather in particular that that mon, you know as you mentioned Al that that someone had been you know that that idea was was around 50 years beforehand with way less advanced techniques is, 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 is incredible. Um, the tension in the first scene as they're on the ship, I thought was palpable. And, uh, that's only because, um, I've never, I've never found another word that I could put palpable after. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word. Yeah. It's like palpable, but different, I guess. Um, yeah, but by a letter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, somebody had to pick up Michael Slack anyway. Somebody had to get yeah, his, exactly. Good vocab. Yeah, um, but some of the imagery in it was absolutely spectacular. The um, the uh, ship's doctor's um, uh, pince-nez kind of stuck in the rope after he'd been thrown off the ship. As you see those glasses just dangling there, and <laughs> the hanged men kind of ethereally appearing on the on the yard arm as they're threatened with death in the foot that's that's brilliant so yeah i'm glad that i'm glad that i went with this um it's it's entertaining but it's also interesting uh, as I'm, i wouldn't call myself a film historian by any means but um it is interesting to see kind of genre defining things even even if you um even if you're not necessarily 
um, a scholar of, of of the genre. If you see yeah. what I mean, you know, if someone says this this is the best example of a thing, then I think you should always go and give that a shot, even if you don't like the thing in general. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is an excellent example of silent movies and early film history. Plus, only an hour and a quarter. It's not going to take up all your free time. No, it's absolutely. Not, you know, it's... Definitely. But what one cool. thing you have to do with silent movies that you can't do with the talkies. Um, no, sorry, the other way around. One thing that you have to do with silent films that you wait, yeah, <laughs> that you don't have to, that you don't have to do with the talkies is you have to be concentrating. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. You can't, I, I you can't look anything. away because then you're missing intertitle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't be doing anything else yeah. while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Because then definitely. you're constantly just rewinding, going, what did that one say? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah if, this was on, if this was on anywhere in a repertory cinema or something like that, or, you know, somewhere like the BFI, that would be fabulous. That would be an excellent way to watch this movie. Yes, totally. I think we better uh, pick a new yeah, film of the month then. Oh, yeah, new film of the month. Didn't cool. So, forgot about that. Who's okay? Is our, it? How's our genre list doing? Are we moved away from the principle of? I think we have because we basically use most of them. I think we just need to try and think of something we haven't done already. Okay. Well, we okay. could we could either do that. Or, yeah, we could. We'll think think up a new format maybe for next episode. But for this one, right? H- whose turn is it? Who's? Yeah, it's going to. Well, it's got to be one of you two. Uh, I think it will be mine then, actually, because Clive. I did picked, searching uh, for Sugarman, which is the last one. Yeah, wasn't it, it will be mine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what then. Um, one of you two give me a genre and I'll try and think of a film. Have have we done um, romance? No, I don't think we have. No, we have not. Not a genre that I would confess to being at all interested in, but I feel like it might be an interesting challenge for Agreed. Right, a man okay. of Al's capability. <laughs> um, I have a few contenders here, but there's one that stands out glaringly. Uh, I know Clive's seen it already and I'm sure he won't mind watching it again. Uh, I'll go for the Richard Linklater film uh, Before Sunrise. Oh, excellent! Uh, cool. The oh. the, f- the first in the Before trilogy, um, which is essentially a romantic comedy, but that does it a huge disservice. I won't say any more than that, but um, I'm happy to watch it again, having only seen it once. Actually, um, I think you'll like it, and I'll I'll try and make sure Michael watches it when he get back gets back from the plastic bag protest. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, I'm interested to watch this again, definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm, I mean, I just hope it stands up to School of Rock. Well, <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. Not Excellent. as much rock and roll. <laughs> definitely not. More French people. Cool. So um, I guess that just leaves me to uh, ask Clive, uh, what time is it? It's plug time. Um, right, I've actually made a list here of the things I need to plug. So, quite wow, prepared today. unbelievable! Unbelievable, this guy because I always forget something. What professionalism! I'm still going to forget something. Don't worry. All that Patreon money, all that Patreon money is really paying off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've managed to get some paper. Bloody amazing! Wow. Right, <laughs> so we've got the website uh, stickaroundpodcast.com where that you can get all past episodes, pictures of us, all sorts of things. You can um, subscribe if you haven't. You know, if you're not down with having a podcast app, you can subscribe via email, so you get an email when a new episode comes up. I know a couple of people who do that, Ooh. so that's cool. Twitter at Stickaroundcast, updates about why episodes are delayed, when episodes are out, all stuff like that. Exciting. Um, Instagram, we've got lots of photos of interesting things. I haven't put one up for a while because my phone's dead. But... Can I just say that if you uh, if you head to our Instagram, there is an interesting quiz that. Um... 
that stick around followers might like to partake in this week. Oh wow! It's um, it's called Gove or Wayne. You decide. <laughs> I like it. You have to decide which of the two people pictured not. is Alex Wayne and which is <laughs> a cultural commentator and zeitgeist leader Michael Gove. <laughs> I will be straight on that after this, and so should you. Uh, I'm trying. I'm desperately trying to think of some kind of politician I can say you look like Dave. But I can't think of one, so I'm just going to be really spiteful and say you look like Nigel Farage. So there. Well, did you see his? Uh, did you see his excellent mustache? Oh, uh, unfortunately, he shaved off before he went to America. Maybe so he's matched his passport photo. But <laughs> that is disappointing. I, um, I can work on that. Other social media things: Facebook.com/slash/stickaroundpodcast. I think we are on that. Give us a like. Uh, we've mentioned it before Patreon we need money Just give us money uh, it costs I believe it's £8.67 at the minute with the exchange rate per month to host the website etc etc so any Good money Michael Gove slash Al Wayne yep <laughs> any money you give will uh, go towards that once you know the donation amount exceeds that it'll go towards various things like drugs alcohol oh yeah things women. like that but yeah yeah so far, we're, so far we're nowhere near, nowhere near covering the hosting costs. So, um, by women, by the way, we mean hiring a female correspondent because we'd really like to bring some equality. <laughs> we would, yeah, and we don't have any female yeah. friends because we hate them. No, so. I mean, I've, in in the interest of equality, I have done this uh, this episode in blackface, but I'm not sure it really. Oh works. Jesus I've... Christ! <laughs> Somebody had to lower the tone. Jesus. And I believe that's everything plugged. <laughs> Although I feel like I'm missing something. Dave, is have I missed something? Um, I wasn't really paying attention, I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't think you did. Give us five stars all. and likes or whatever on your respective podcast. Oh, apps. yeah, yeah. Go and subscribe. Go to iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. And tell your friends. Tell print your out friends. Bi- print out business cards. Print <laughs> them out. I believe you we're know. back next time with television could well be i might have, i've got a couple of things to talk about this time so Ooh. could be a biggie cool. could be a biggie great well that brings us to the end of another uh quick witty sharp agile episode of the <laughs> podcast so, as ever, as ever. <laughs> those are the first that, adjectives that came to my mind yeah <laughs> so that just leaves me to uh thank alex wayne thank you dave and clive fisher thank you dave and uh, I'm sure we'll hear from Michael again soon, just as soon as he's um, got us our plastic back. Yeah. Uh, so Sweet. that just leaves me to say thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure coming in your ears. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you again soon. Yeah. See you next Stick time. Guys. Thanks for listening. And thanks for excellent job hosting, Dave. Adios, everyone. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Oh, shut that door. No, I later see a senorita. She's caught a flat trying to make it home. She says, Por favor, can you pump me up? I said, Muchos gracias and adios. Bye bye. Free love on the free love freeway. The love is free. And the freeway's long I got some hot love